Well, it's like, uh, I still haven't learned Celsius. And you know what? I'm just not going to fucking learn it. Fuck Celsius. <laughs> Ever? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not into it. I know, I know 40 degrees Celsius is hot. Really right? hot. Yeah, that's yeah, like, that's hot. like 100, 102 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh-huh. then you got, uh, and then you got like seven degrees Celsius is like, you know, bring a jacket and, okay. and that's, and zero of course is freezing. So we got that. Right. So I think that's my range. Zero, seven, 40. <laughs> that's, that's all you got to know. But I'm not sure what it is now, but it's about 76 degrees when I looked at my watch. Oh, 71 degrees now, according to the, uh, the fine Apple watch product, no LTE available in the Netherlands. So I have no LTE on it. Uh, anyways, 76 degrees. So like when it gets to be that warm here in Amsterdam, everyone's like, you know, put on the half shirts and the shorts and just like go outside to the cafes. They just, Oh, I like it. Yeah, there we go. They dig around in, in their piles of clothes and find some sunglasses. Sunglasses not very popular here. I don't know. We'll see when it comes to true summer. What? What? They don't have the sun? Like, is it just not cloudy all the time? What's going on? I think maybe that's the thing. It is cloudy most of the time, so you don't see sunglasses. But I think as as the sun emerges from its slumber, uh, we will see more sunglasses. But I feel like I wear sunglasses more than uh than than the locals but yeah it's it's nice and sunny now and and of course you know it's europe so you got these outdoor cafes and uh man people will just pack those cafes it'll be good stuff we were out uh down at the end of the block there's a little wood-fired pizza place and you just you just like sit out there and you just have pizza outside and the thing is for those of for those of you who grew up uh you know kind of like i guess south a little you know a few few states south of the mason dixon line in the south it turns out there are parts of the world you can sit outside and not die. Like it's it's pretty wonderful. You got to look into that. But do people really? I, I think the American stereotype is that uh, European people are outside at these cafes having these long meals and mm-hmm. you know this and fun conversations and engaging conversations. So so does that really happen? Or are the people sitting out there? Did they have just screaming kids and they're just like, we got to mm-hmm. get out of here? Is it just more more normal, if you will? Uh. Yeah, I think it's pretty normal. I think, I think, I think, and this is largely due to it just being a, um, you know, I, I, I always hesitate to describe Amsterdam as a big city because it's n- not a big city anyways, but it's, you know, being, let's, let's use a fancy word from a long time ago, being a cosmopolitan place. There's a lot of young people, uh, which is to okay. say a lot of childless people. And so, oh, okay. so they kind of like stuff the answer to your question. They kind of uh, subsidize it, so to speak, with, you know, the, the leisureliness. But I think if you were to weight it by population of childful and childless people, I'm totally making all this up. This would be a great use of Excel. Uh, I think you would find that, yeah, it's just normal, right? Like it's not like it's not like so, you know, back uh, back in Austin, uh, up up in the part of town we lived in was just like, you know, you know, it's like I got a I got a family and a uh, you know suburban. Yeah, Suburbs, I got I, I make a, yeah. I make one hundred fifty thousand to two hundred thousand dollars a year, and my spouse might make that an amount. So I've got this absurd fucking ten bedroom house with two cars, and I'm living out in some place called a ranch or a meadows or a glen, right? And uh, you're just jam packed with kids. So we used to go to this place called uh, Flores, right? And uh, mm-hmm. you had two types of of people at Flores. One you had the empty nest people who were like, you know, they look like a well-worn leather bag. Uh, and basically, and they were just like loading up on margaritas. They were just like, I'm, I'm going to blow my kid's inheritance on margaritas. And then they're going to take care of my liver when I'm slowly declining. You know, 
I celebrate your entire canon, leather bag people. Uh, but then you would have the people like us who are just, you know, we're trying, we're trying to maintain this, this, um, illusion is the wrong word and facade is what's a word somewhere between facade and genuine there must be something in there i think you call that trying we were trying to just like live a normal life at the same time make sure our kids didn't kill themselves and also like you know maintain that that not maintain but we're like those tired uh, you know parents who are constantly just stressing out but yeah so there's a lot more uh, families with kids out there when the weather was nice but and you see that around here there's there's kids running around doing things i feel like I don't know if it's because I'm sensitive, but I feel like like our kids are particularly rambunctious, um, and I don't know. I think that's what all parents think is they just like uh, they're either working on destroying their liver and they don't notice, or they just like are worried about their kids being the crazy ones. <laughs> nice, <laughs> basically, nice. basically so, liver-driven parenting. So that's... I take from this, it's okay. You can take your kids to the oh, cafe. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 it works out. Like it, it doesn't matter it, whether or not people have children there they they understand kids are coming to the cafe oh yeah it's p- particularly in like the part of town i live and other stuff it's just it's just like kids everywhere they're just running around doing stuff and 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 you know it's totally fine and and uh yeah like my son was looking for a spider right outside the front door of a restaurant yesterday at the pizza place and i don't know it seemed fine they don't seem to care <laughs> just, nice very nice now here here's what to close out on this topic one last tip i don't really know who should be the receiver of this tip but it is it is a bit of a of a, of a stressful thing is you know there's no re- free, free refills in europe just like that's that, right the concept yeah. if you're if you're lucky lucky is the wrong word but if you're kind of out of the tourist zone and you go somewhere where they just give you tap water and they don't charge you for it like an asshole uh like sure you get free water the kind of guy you covered there but everything else, not free. And so, like, you know, you're used to maybe your kids would order a drink uh, at a restaurant. And, and so the kids are brought up and they just, like, they drink it in, like, a minute because they just get a re- free refill. That doesn't happen here. It's just. Yeah. So you're, you're buying, like, this tiny bottle of 7-Up, uh, which we may or may not allow our kids to drink. I don't know if that makes us terrible. So don't, <laughs> don't tell CPS that we allow our, our kids to drink 7-Up. Uh, but, yeah, I think I've slowly we're working on them to be like, look. There's no refill, so you might want to, like, I don't know, sip it that slowly. I, and I don't really – that concept is weird, the no free refills thing. And I guess – yeah, I don't know, because the way it was always explained to us Americans was that drinks are basically free. Like, they're very cheap, which which makes sense. It's basically just sort of like coagulated sugar, some food coloring mixed into water, right? And so I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I don't think there's soda fountains here. I was going to say, I think that's what it's, it's all tied to that, right? I think yeah. in the U.S. it's very common that everything's a soda fountain. So, well, maybe it's not exactly free. I mean, the cost is so minimal. Negligible. You know, and, of course, they, you know, like, you know, go to a, a typical restaurant. It's like $2, 250 you know. So, yeah. so they're getting – they're still making – even if you drink, you know, I don't know, five five sodas, right? Still making a lot of money, I think, on it. So so I think that must be what it is because I do think, as I remember in Europe, it's like, especially with like any type of soda, it's yeah. always a bottle. And same thing with water. A lot of times you, you don't really even want bottled water, but you get it. And then uh, and then iced tea, not really a thing in Europe. Yeah. I can tell. That's yeah. You know, I don't want to I don't want to go off on one of my non-computer related rants, but bottled water. What the fuck? Like what? <laughs> I just that shit's intolerable. Like I don't. It's very upsetting. 
It's and, and well, I think it's only you're only upset because like, when it's forced on you, like I think it's okay to have the option. If that's yeah, your thing, sure. Right? I'm all like, for freedom. You just, but it's just nice to you know, uh, just to be like, yeah, just 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 take the the fountain back there, the spigot, just turn it on, just bring yeah. Me, I mean, it, bring me, me a couple big big glasses of whatever. I'm, I'm just gonna wrap it up in a bow and leave it alone. Is like, I mean, I mean, we pay taxes to have very clean water, so it's like the water is clean and it's perfect. So, uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> just the whole concept of bottled water is just, like, terrifyingly stupid to me. Like, anyways. Uh, boy, but that Coca-Cola bottled water sure does have a good taste to it. I do like the taste of it. What, which one is that? Not not Asani. That's some sort of uh, Trello competitor, right? Asana? Oh, but, uh, Asana, yeah. Dasani. I, I don't know. Whichever one. Dasani is a water. Yeah, it's a bottled water. Yeah, see that, that in airports a lot, right? Tastes good. I love the taste of that water. Mm. There you go. So you see, you you have two minds there. You don't you don't exactly hate it. You'll drink yeah. it when it's around. I mean, I, I love the taste of it, but I also love the taste of like as as they say in hands on a hard body a <laughs> Snickers bar. But you know, it's not like I go around eating them all the time. Did, did you have we discussed? Did you ever have someone in your family who would freeze candy bars and eat them frozen? Uh, I have definitely been a part of that, such an experiment. It's a lot of times, I don't know, frozen, sometimes frozen and sometimes just in the refrigerator. I like it. And I think uh, in some places I have been to convenience stores where they'll take like usually Snickers. I don't know. I guess it could be other things. And they will take um, not – I don't know of any here in Texas. For me, that's like a North Carolina thing. I'll take a Snickers bar, like a big package of them and put them in like kind of next to the ice cream. Hmm. I like it. I'm not against it. I'm fine yeah, with it. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Again, I don't want to tell anyone how to live their life, but my grandpa used to do that, and I always felt like I was going to break my teeth. But I think that's because I was eating them wrong. I think you're not supposed to eat them. You're supposed to kind of, like, suck on them, I guess. I I don't know. I don't know the theory of a frozen candy bar. Uh, neither here nor there. So here here's here's what I wanted to – you know, I've always liked to ask for tips on being normal in a corporate world and because I, I know you have a lot of experience. So next week, I'm going to help out a little bit with the uh, new hire sales training up there. In oh, London. nice. Now, yeah. now I think we've covered extensively what you do at a uh, annual uh, sales field, whatever. Kickoff, yeah. Right? yeah. Basically mm-hmm. just let me wrap SKO. up. Uh-huh. That's right. SKO, FKO, all the great KOs. Uh, let me summarize your tip. Tell them how they're going to make money. Pretty much. Yes. Pretty much. That's all they want to know. Right. Yep, Tell them how they're going to make money and which way the bar is. And you're done. Uh, which is fair, but new hire training. All right. Now, obviously, you want to tell them how to make money, but I feel like there maybe is something a little different, right? Or or not. What do you What do you do during a new hire training? I think in a new hire training, I mean, <clears throat> I think it's really one of two things. Like, you know, you're going to quickly size up the group of people, like who, especially based on the questions, like who do you think, kind of like really wants to know more about the subject, right? Because there's kind of two two uh, kinds of salespeople. I think there are people that just like sales is its own discipline. doesn't matter if you're selling candy bars, cars, or software, right? They're just kind of like have their way of doing it. But then there's also usually like a group of salespeople that are really interested in like becoming you know, more of the consultative sales approach, right? Like they want to know more about the problem and the products. And then maybe they're, you know, maybe they have some IT background, or IT sales background, but um, in your world, right, they're just getting into like pivotal and the culture of pivotal and like what the message is and things like that. So I think that's one for you is just understanding uh, what it is 
you know, who, who are the people that you're going to want to know the best coming out of this? Or maybe, yeah. I, maybe said a different way. It's like, who's going to be most receptive? So like, you know, you're doing a lot of the thought Lord stuff, right? So like when they, when someone calls you in, who's going to want that from you, right? Like who's sort of really interested in that? So I think that's for you to come in. And then two, I think the biggest thing at a new hire sales training, it's, it's kind of like the FAQ kind of thing. What can you tell all these guys that's going to kind of keep them out of like the swamp of, of like, of just crazy customer questions, right? So, you know, you kind of, we've talked a lot about in previous episodes about, you know, you got, you're not, you're not there to talk about lift and shift and migrate, you know, you're talking about um, specific, like how to change the culture, right? How to do this. So I think a lot of that is like teeing up for those guys, you know, kind of the 10 slide, 20 minute pitch that they can go give Mm -hmm. and keep pivotal, like position pivotal in the right place to have secondary conversations, right? So in your world, I would think that's sort of like maybe not trying to get down to like, you know, all the different Kubernetes distributions and discussions, right? It's trying to help those guys say, hey, don't get in this conversation, get in this other conversation. So that would be like, if yeah. I was giving sales trading, that would be your mission, right? Learn about who's who wants to hear that story, who do you think is most open to like learning about that story, and then kind of making friends with those guys and being able to yeah. to uh, help them as they go forward. That's good. That's good. That's solid advice because that's basically basically what I'm going to go over. So it's good to know I got a four day holiday and then I fly to London, so I don't want to have to do more work. So I think I think my slides are done. That's they. You know they want. Have you seen this phenomena of like whiteboarding instead of presenting? You encounter that? Oh yeah, we've done. There's like a whole. I don't know. Is it still going? Like the whiteboard selling kind of model where you like don't have a PowerPoint yeah, like, just yeah. like everyone gets trained and then but everyone's trained on basically how to like like no matter what they're doing they end up with the same diagram at mm. the end mm. is that I've done a bunch I don't know I've been in a bunch of those yeah movies. yeah 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 I, I they, they they wanted me to whiteboard stuff and I was I was eventually I was like no <laughs> 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 just like I think I think maybe if you're doing some sort of like diagram or or you're explaining a flow of things then it maybe works but like I don't I don't know I don't do that now stuff. what they're saying there this is what they're trying to like no one will say it this way but mm-hmm. this is what the whiteboard selling thing is really the problem that's really trying to solve it's like hey people that uh we don't want robots to go in and give the same presentation that everyone becomes glassy-eyed and bored Right. So whiteboarding Mm -hmm. is just a shortcut to say, hey, when you go meet with the customer, sit down, have some type of two way conversation going. Yeah. And so the slides, what they're trying to tell people is like, don't do slides because the slides can be this wall. But it doesn't really you know what I mean? Like in some cases, like it's ridiculous to whiteboard like no one's there to like see that. Right. It's sort of like it sort of breaks down the expectations. But that doesn't mean that you can't still have like some type of you know interesting conversation with them that's more relevant than like just like giving the same pitch over and over again. Yeah, so, no, I, I mean, I, I think, think that's all that's, that's happening there. I think that's exactly correct is, is there are, there are a few instances of, of the medium of a whiteboard being good, the good medium, like kind of, it's, it's mm, I don't know if I could actually think of one. Maybe it's a good, like anything you might use a sticky note for where you're kind right. of like coming up with a, a, a room specific list of things that you're going to arrange in some order. But in general, now I agree with you, like whiteboard is like enterprise sales speak for have a more casual, uh, choose your own adventure kind of discussion. Right. And, uh, I don't know. 
Uh, those meetings are really weird. I mean, as 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 longtime listeners and yourself probably know, like I, all this stuff people have against PowerPoint, like I don't really care about it. It's just sort of like if your if your pitch is shit, your slides are going to be shit, right? Like, but but shit slides don't cause a shit pitch. <laughs> so to speak right unless unless you're given a you know bad content but it's just like it's not the powerpoint that's doing anything now i mean i guess i guess as i recall that one tufty booklet you know if if you are doing an engineering readout then sure but that's why i said pitch not analysis of why a space shuttle blew up uh so those those are different areas but you know let's say your data center and your applications were uh, blowing up in a bad way, not in like a hip hop way. Have you noticed, Brandon, before we get to that, that everyone now casually uses drop as as in release? Does that does that get on your nerves? Mm, no, it doesn't really. I think you know, you're talking about we're talking about like, uh, yeah, music, like like right? you'll, like, you'll hey, be we're gonna drop an album, right? Yeah, like you'll be listening to like uh, the weeds, and they'll be like, and you know, our buddy will be like, and when the Mueller report finally drops next week. And it's yeah. just like I don't know. Anytime I, I hear like like hip hop slang appropriated and becoming normal, it just like I it, it's just weird. It bugs me out. But what are you gonna do? <laughs> I have no problem with that. But let me tell okay. you what you're gonna do, okay? You know what you're gonna do, mm. and then all the listeners are gonna do. They are gonna go check out our friends from SolarWinds because this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds and one of their DevOps tools, App Optics. Nobody likes a trade-off. Kote, you don't like trade-offs. So why trade-off when you can have it all? Developers are having to choose between monitoring everything and staying in their budget. The result? Major gaps in their monitoring. Well, AppOptics is monitoring that you can afford to run everywhere. Pricing is based on host hours, not maximum count or high watermark. We don't want that. You know what you want? You want AppOptics. And with AppOptics, you can catch performance issues before your customers do. Find the root cause of any application or server issue in real time. AppOptics lets developers and operations spend less time troubleshooting and more time doing what they love, delighting users. AppOptics is a SaaS-based hosted service. It's easy to manage, and most importantly, it's budget-friendly. So here's what I want everyone to do. To learn more or to try it for free for 14 days, I want you to go out to appoptics.com SDT. Again, that's appoptics.com SDT. SDT. I will spell it for you. It's a p p o p t i c s dot com, and of course, it's in the show notes. So go there, try it out. Of course, tell them your friends from Software Defined Talk sent you. And as always, we really appreciate Solowinds being such a great sponsor. Well, you know, just as a small follow up, I think I think we we talked about this passingly. You know, over the past couple of years, there's been this drama about the uh, U.S. Department of Defense trying to pick one cloud. And I think uh, uh, the excellently named Jedi, which is all capitalized, <laughs> and I'm I, I'm sure it stands for something awesome. Yeah, it's like joint something, something, something. It's a great acronym. Whoever did it at the state or not at the Department of Defense, they deserve a race. Yeah, and and if you follow the kind of uh, U.S. Air Force's like use of pivotal stuff that gets written up a lot, they, uh, they they use a lot of Star Wars names too. They call it like the Kessel Run and this thing and and whatever. There's other fun names like Jigsaw. Boy, they they got good good good. Uh, would you call that an initialization? I think is that and whatever that is. <sighs> you know, I used to read a lot of grammar books. You wouldn't be able to tell it from the way that I write, but boy, 
I read a lot of them. No, so. it just means you know, like you're breaking the rules on purpose, right? That's what I tell sometimes. people. Is that what you do? Because yeah, uh, that's what like somebody who's, who's quote unquote the great writers. Now I know all the rules, but I'm breaking them to make some points, yeah. especially more important. Yeah, you're like you know, I I know the rules, and you know what? Fuck those rules. They can go fuck <laughs> themselves. <laughs> They're rude telling me what to do anyhow it looks like they've narrowed down to uh uh amazon and microsoft so all the uh all the consternating that that oracle was doing i think they were the ones uh leading that but i don't know we'll see we'll see if that pans out but what you know when i was observing that uh i don't know maybe the government's different because because as as i think mark schwartz pointed out in the art of business value which i think i mentioned i reread that recently it's a good book he really, ha- having been a government CIO, he pointed out that, like, actually, uh, compliance and, uh, and like, all that kind of red tape is a feature that we sort of didn't know we wanted in the government because we don't like corruption and we want oversight. So, you know, you get what you want, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, uh, maybe having two different vendors provide a cloud is a good idea uh, in a government context. I don't know. I, you know, I, but I, I was thinking like, that's not really what you would want a regular enterprise to do, right? Like, or I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's, it's a good idea to have two clouds or should, should the Air Force have just been like, not the Air Force? Well, I think they're still, I think it's just down. I think they're going to pick one vendor. Oh, really? Okay. I think I read it is that they just essentially narrowed the list. So as I understand it, going back in time is Google pulled out of the bidding last year because for their own reasons, right? They just decided they didn't want to do that. Then AWS was all set to win the contract, and then um, people protested it, I think Oracle, IBM, and maybe some others. So I think what they've said is just that Oracle and IBM are, are out, so it's really dashed down to Azure and AWS. So, and you know, and I was watching the Google Next keynote, and you know, as I kind of move between these different public cloud vendors more and more, right? You know. You always notice like similarities, but sometimes it's important to like think about the differences, especially during the keynotes. And the one thing I will say that always stands out to me, specifically with Google and AWS, is when they uh, go out and they actually, if you will, uh, give an update on their specific infrastructure, what you get is a sense that they've really been there and done it before. They have infrastructure that is at such a scale that very few uh, other companies have ever, you know, done this. And I think that's something that there truly is uh, <laughs> and differentiator for uh, a lot of uh, different enterprises. So when we think about the government, I think about the government specifically, uh, they have, you know, such needs at such high scale that really, you know, that when they do one of these deals, right, that needs to be um, paramount. And I think, you know, if you think about, you know, the cloud vendors that are available today, it really stands out that, yeah, the government is really kind of using that as a proxy, right? They are also thinking to themselves that, hey, you know, we need a vendor as big and as large um, as really any of the cloud vendors before. So I think it's important to think about that as like one of the reasons they differentiate themselves outside of all the different other technology. Yeah, you know, I I mean, in addition to that, like when, when I've been watching this, I've been thinking like, really, like, how how many spreadsheets do they have with the matrix that they're filling out? Like, I mean, it must be like, I you know, I remember, I haven't looked at this in a while, but like uh, um, there's this person, uh, Mindy, I used to work with at Dell, and she's she's on one of the various cloud teams 
I think she's a vice president now, uh, which a Gartner is a interesting title. Uh, but, uh, she's, you know, heads up a team that like lets you, at least last I looked at her work kind of like put together considering which cloud to get and strategy and stuff like that. And it's just like, um, again, with the Schwartzian thing of like oversight and, and, uh, I don't know, avoiding graft or poor decision-making or whatever. It feels like, I mean, you can pick your cloud, <laughs> right? Like you're going to have a spreadsheet with what, like 300 rows at most. And, uh, or I guess it's not rows. You do. In the matrix, it would be columns that are the feet, the attributes, right? That would be yellow, red, or green. Uh, but like, it, it's, it, it doesn't seem like it should be that difficult at this point to like figure out which cloud is best for you. Maybe what's difficult is interpreting all of the requirements that you have. But then again, I mean, I don't, maybe this is like stupid to use that word again or ill-informed, but I feel like there's a pretty constrained set of what a computer can do. And so if you just start with that, uh, I mean, it's not like, it's not like you're going to uncover some mysterious thing that one of these can do that the other can't, which isn't, I mean, I guess it is to say they're basically the same, but it's more of like the requirements that you have, you could just ask if a computer can do it. And, and there are things granted, like you're saying, like how many zones do they have? And like this kind of like networking stuff. But again, like, what are we talking about? Like a week to figure that out? Like, well, I do, but I I do think it comes back though. Um, you know, it's kind of like everyone always wants references, right? Like every job, if you work in any type of like, so everyone's like looking for a reference, wants a reference. Of course, no one wants to be a reference. You never have the right reference. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like this weird, like chicken and egg thing. So, you know, kind of what I was saying before, it's like, you know, sometimes it's just like, who's the most credible when they're talking. And like, when I watch the per- person, like they give like some AWS infrastructure update, like you really, it really comes across like, wow. These guys are really facing yeah, the yeah, same yeah. types of problems yeah. and they've solved it. Same thing with Google. I thought that one of the more impressive thing, it was, it was a little bit boring, but it was also when they went through like, hey, here's the update to the Google infrastructure running the cloud, right? And we're talking just like, you know, fiber optic cables running on oceans, right? You're like 100 gigabyte networks. I mean, all the stuff that, you know, I, I don't even know if I knew, I understood all of it as much as when you watch them, you're like, yeah, no, they're doing it. They're running it, right? Like they have thought about this problem for a long time and they're living this problem. Whereas, you know, just like not to single anybody out, but it's just sort of like the other enterprise cloud vendors, maybe coming from a more enterprise software background, like they, you know, they haven't been doing that. They haven't, you know, run a a search engine for 15 plus years. They haven't necessarily run an e-commerce store. And it's like, so when you're watching it, like it comes across it. And I'm not saying like, that's the only thing to think about, but it does strike you. So things like to your point about the 300, uh, maybe uh, sheet uh, matrix, right? It's like there'll be something on there like high availability, right? And, you know, um, failover. And like there'll just be these like tiny little rows. But then you kind of think to yourself, like, okay, I'm signing up for this. Like when I was there at the conference, like which one of these conferences that I was like, man, these guys really feel like they know what they're doing. And you get yeah. that impress- impression from both AWS and Google. Yeah, no, th- no, that makes sense. And I think maybe another thing to analogize it is like if I was, uh, if I was out there buying like lamps or power tools, like I wouldn't really know what was going on, you know? And and so like, like we, we like in our heads and probably most people who listen to this, you could intuitively be like, well, of course, AWS and Microsoft and maybe Google were on the short list. Like I could have told you that a long time ago, right? Like everyone knows that the, I don't even know what type of lamps exist. 
that like you know if 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 you wanted a really good lamp you're going to buy this brand and it's going to have these attributes and and these things whereas like if you're not into lamps uh maybe you don't know like it's difficult for you to discern and figure out what to trust and and then it's even difficult for you to figure out who to trust about who to trust and so maybe you need a more deliberate mm. process well also too like i think it's interesting like because i've just been you know in my my day job spending time talking to people around looking at migrations right so so like there's a lot of discussion about you know we talked about a couple episodes again about microsoft 2008 sql server and, and 2008 server and so it's like in some ways like i don't know 2008 doesn't seem that long ago to me right i don't know maybe this is just a function of getting old but like but all that software you know is like decisions now all have to be made you know around that so if you were going back, you know, around 2006, say, right? I mean, it, you know, again, doesn't feel that long ago, but it was a pretty long time ago. It's like, okay, what should we do? What should we build all these apps on? What should we run them on, right? Yeah, like the technology yeah. landscape's so different then, right? And I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like some of these decisions make total sense to me. It's like, okay, well now organizations that have, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of these servers all have to like make some type of migration decision. So, when you think about all of these things, I think it's, you know, what we were just talking about there, the scale of it. But, you know, so now here we are, what, 2019. So 2029, which seems far away, almost like an eternity, but we'll be here actually sooner than we think. Right. And it's like, OK, well, like, what does the landscape look like? I mean, does mm. Google are like who who has the staying power? Like, you know, so I think we sometimes like, there's a lot of like Internet talk about Google, like, you know, always shutting down s services, right? They come out like Google Reader being like probably the one that we care about the most, but there's a million others, right? Google Wave. And it's like, all right, 10 years from now, 2029, you know, like, like what has happened? Is Google like this behemoth organization? Do they, you know, big enterprise sales, like Thomas Kurian's there still. They just hired another SAP executive. Is it a big enterprise cloud vendor? Or like, did something else go happen between now and then? And same thing with AWS. So I think if you think about that uh, from a level, like someone that's going to be in this job for like the next ten years, um, like you're looking at a lot of different factors, right? And that maybe is where somebody like the traditional vendors, like Oracle, IBM, like you know, you feel like they're going to be there doing something, right? You know, you don't feel like they're just going to exit the market for search, right? Yeah. Something else would have happened. So I don't know. So I'm sympathetic. Like people making this choice, right? It's, I mean, it's a hard thing, right? You're you're going to live with it for a long time. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I think, I think you're turning me around this, it, you know, namely on the, the like modernization thing, because I bet you know in the whole Department of Defense consideration, they're like, well, you know, we've got like ten thousand uh, Fox Pro applications, so um, can we migrate those, <laughs> right? And <laughs> and there's just like there's probably no end of things, and they have to consider uh, what would be the best way in all the dimensions of, of long-term support ability to actually do it and cost. And then, uh, you know, everyone's favorite use case, it works, uh, like which, which one of these would be the best choice for, for us. And if they're like a lot of people, they probably have like a shit ton of Microsoft things running here and there, but then they probably also have a lot of just weird stuff. Uh, so yeah. And, and then doing that analysis of the entire portfolio is, is like, uh, would take some time. Yeah, that, that would be an annoying problem. And then, you know, the other thing that they, whether they like it or not, right, is, I mean, they are in some ways a market maker. Like, if that deal were to go to anyone other than AWS, right, it would, it will be huge news. Because, mm. you know, that's sort of, that level, I mean, just one, it's a huge deal. It's $10 billion, which is like, even for big companies, that's a lot of money, right? So that's going to care. Yeah. But two, it also would be a signal to the market that, hey, these guys, 
you know, they're in it because they're this $10 billion, you know, it's like every contract, good news is you want it, bad news is you want it, right? Like it can also be something that, you know, haunts you over time, but I think it would be a real legitimizer. And I think that's why when people were road protesting it is that for, for some companies, I think I mean, an Oracle being specifics, you know, the amount of, uh, that contract's probably worth $50 billion to them, right? Because yeah. it would legitimate, uh, legitimize their offering in a way that very few other customers or references can do. So, I mean, so it's something definitely to watch. Yeah. Well, speaking of Google, so between now and last time, I've done some research. I don't know what that <laughs> means into like, you know, the Anthos thing and everything. And I think, I think I don't, you know, as always when I'm talking, I don't remember exactly what, what I was saying, what you were saying, which is fine, but I think we pretty much had it right. It's, it's a, it's a multi Kubernetes man, multi Kubernetes manager. So it's not like it's not like this magic thing that's going to, uh, you know, manage and monitor all of your computers across firewalls. It's just like unifies together Kubernetes thing. Now, the thing I'm not quite sure of, because back in, as I was mentioning, back in the 2010, 2011 time period, there was a uh, uh, in in the marketing of this stuff, there was a very fuzzy delineation between I can monitor all of this stuff versus I can like manage it. Like I would always make that distinction because you know I'm a smart little guy. Uh but between like am I actually like creating and destroying and removing VMs and then more importantly am I like able to link these things up? Like how much how much of it is read versus write? And I have a feeling it's I actually don't know how much is write so to speak, but it probably is just like a unified place where you can uh manage most of the things. And I think there is some write aspect to it because if I remember there's from the diagram, speaking of whiteboarding, there's basically like a either literally or metaphorically centralized configuration store, which, you know, your Kubernetes thing would go look at to figure out how to set itself up. So, uh, yeah, there you go. You can manage mm -hmm. multiple Kubernetes things across uh, wherever it may be running. Now, I think I still haven't found the part where it's best, where, and maybe it's, it's probably out there, but like, I don't know, like which Kubernetes it, it distros it'll work with and which ones it won't work with and all this stuff, but whatever. I mean, you know, it's one thing to uh, kind of poke at that, but that's kind of just irrelevant in the grand scheme of things. Like, obviously it's going to be a hassle, but you know, yeah, that's, you that's know, what you get. When I was going through, I tried to watch some of the different videos and the demos. And I think, you know, the positioning of all of this is, is kind of interesting in general because uh, what you have here like, has to really be like a strong sense of, um, I guess, I don't know, I guess a strong kind of like almost switch in the market where now the pitch seems to be like, hey, you don't need to know about Kubernetes. That like most people, like I think kind of the broad pitch is like developers don't need to know about anything about Kubernetes. Like we don't want them to know anything because it's complicated and it's it's hard to use, right? So I saw a bunch of demos. So it's kind of like the the thing that they're showing is kind of showing you like you don't have to know anything. It's like, hey, you just do this configuration thing one time right? And it just works for you. And so I, I think in some ways that's kind of the message is like, don't worry about this unless you're like an SRE or you're one of the people trying to figure it out. But I don't know, Dick, to me, this is just where it all starts to get a little like 
over I don't know, not overwhelming is maybe the wrong thing, but just like the you know, what what is the phrase like leaky abstractions? It's just unclear. Like I understand like it's gotten complicated and therefore people don't want it to be complicated, but it also feels like, hey, I'm building software and I'm trying to figure out how this stuff works. Like, can we get into the details? Because this does actually seem really relevant to my job. Um and I don't know, I just feel like the market itself is just sort of like all over the place as to like what people should really know um as as part of like quote unquote doing their job. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and and I think I think there's a uh there's there's I don't forget how I came across this, but there's there's a uh there's a white paper. And I think they have the same two people at Google writing all these white papers, which is great because <laughs> they're very well-written papers. But uh it, let's see. It's like an Amazon product name. It's called Application Modernization and the Decoupling of Infrastructure Services and Teams in Two-Pack with the Removable Seat Covers comes in black, white, and blue. I added that part at the end. Uh but uh, it's a it's a good paper. I think every third word is decoupling, uh, which is fine. But it does like it, it paints this picture as you were saying of, uh, well, what's frustrating for me about it, it is well, it, it doesn't get to the next conclusion, which I was being snarky about in, in Twitter earlier today. But it uh, it's basically like you know you got to have a uh, a layered or decoupled approach where each layer or couple i don't know where each layer doesn't have to worry about the others and you you don't have north south or east west dependencies and everything's decoupled and therefore you can do great things and there's a bit of a uh what's the word exposition or whatever there's a bit of an explanation of how this new set of technology kubernetes and containers and istio makes that possible sort of but more of the explanation that kind of has gone over in the paper is like the, this and, and it's again, it's not drawn out perfectly clear, which is fine. But it's sort of like here are there's this new way of architecting applications. Uh, and if you architect your application this way and, all, and therefore write the components of your application, it's a lot easier to manage. <laughs> right. <laughs> which which is totally fine. Right. And, and they kind of go over like what that. They go over what that the bottom of that architecture looks like, right? Like what, as we would say in Pivotal Land, what the platform looks like for that kind of way of operating. And like my hesitating through it is like, that's the thing that like, uh, well, I, I shouldn't necessarily say hopefully because, you know, uh, it, it would be more or less competitive. But like hopefully for them, for their sake, they're spending a lot of time figuring about what they're going to tell developers now, right? Because like the next logical step as you were getting to is like, well, now we need to run something on this, but everything we've been working on and talking about for the past five years, no one needs to know about. <laughs> and, and I'm exaggerating it because obviously people need to know about it, right? Like whoever's figuring out that Jedi contract, they need to look at all of this and there's, there's a whole lot of things going there. So I shouldn't say no one, but it's more like now we have an entirely new audience that we basically have to, that audience being developers and architects, and we basically need to have them learn, I want to say completely, but I don't know if that's accurate, but they need to learn a new way of doing software, (laughs) right? And in in like Pivotal Land, we kind of just like... uh, casually say like oh yeah cloud native programming following 12 factor stuff which which is accurate but you know having having seen how like people do that development like you have to spend a lot of time working with people to like move it over to that 
uh, that way of doing things to doing things in a cloud native way where you containerize your applications and things are fully decoupled and you do blah, 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 like the whole thing the paper writes about. And like it doesn't maybe I don't read the right stuff, but it doesn't seem like Google talks about that a lot, which is basically the next thing they would have to get into, I, I think. I don't know. But that paper is really good because if you read it with this eye of then what do, what do the developers do? You can start to kind of get this notion of like this is as 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 uh, someone was joking, this Matt Stein guy, like, oh, it's the new app server, right? So you can get this <laughs> idea of what the uh, what the app server looks like on top where the developers would start interfacing with it. Plus, it uses the word decouple a lot. So if you're into that word, <laughs> it's always set. good. I, I think you're right. But, you know, I was um, just one thought popped into as you're talking there. So, you know, follow like Kelsey Hightower, you know, um, I don't know what his official job is at Google, but, you know, gives a lot of keynotes. And I think a lot of people certainly that follow Google and technology follow him. Right. Because he often is given a probably keynote at one of these conferences. And so, you know, one tweet he just posted. I mean, it's fine. It's just a tweet. But he said something like something along like, hey, time to do a deep dive on Istio. Right. So he's like he's you know basically going to go do some kind of ground up like understanding of it makes total sense. I'm sure it makes sense for him. But I do think a lot of people look at him as like a developer, the kind of developer they want to be or someone, the kind of knowledge he has is what I think maybe many people aspire to have, especially if they're in the Google ecosystem. And it's like, well, like, what does that say? Like, should, should all the developers, should everybody go do a deep dive in Istio? And I think he would say, no, I think he'd be like, no, this is just a tool. But, but, you know, it's sort of like kind of like almost like this weird mixed message of like, what do I need to do to become great at my job, you know, as a developer? And even if you went and did like a, the Google Cloud um, tutorial, which I think is great. I mean, I like it. I think it's one of the better tutorials that I've, I've seen when you do it. And it's like the first thing you have to do to do like a hello world application is like they walk you through a lot of the steps of like setting up pods and like running these commands and kubectl and all that. And it's and I think this is where it's just sort of like, you know, that level of abstraction to your thing about decoupling, it's like, well, I mean, just to get hello world, you kind of have to like interact with these things. It's not like someone's just sitting there like ready to go, or maybe they'll say, use Google functions, right? Do it this way. But that's, then you're not really, you know, you're almost in another world, right? You're not containerizing an application. You're doing something totally new. So, so I'm like very sympathetic to like the developers just trying to get a hand around, like, I want to become really good at my job. I want to be an architect. I want to build 12 factor applications. It's like, like what's my path to do that, that I don't have to rediscover on my own, right? That to like start, yes. like, let me download Istio. Let me rebuild, like, you know, JJ, uh, no SSH, JJ, he says he just reinstalls Linux from the ground, uh, rebuilds Linux from the ground up like every three years. And he's just like, I just got to keep this stuff fresh. And I'm just like, one, I was like, well, good for him. But I'm like, I don't know. It just feels like, I mean, hopefully not everybody has to do that, right? It's like, you know, we can make you great at your job without having to like go rebuild Istio or go build it all up. But right now it feels like the people that are leading this effort are doing that. And that's kind of the only model that's out there if you want to become great at your job. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe the lens to study this, what developers do is there there actually is a fair amount of or at least that I know of a fair amount of like how to modernize your stuff, like how to. How to go from a monolith to microservices, but then more importantly, how to go from like just regular code to running in a containerized cloud native way. And um, I don't know. I sort of read at that stuff. It starts to get, you know, too technical too fast, which makes it, it's hard to extract out general principles from that that are useful. But it does seem like there needs to be some kind of like, I don't know, some sort of like 
beyond DevOps conversation of like, all right, so now how about just dev? Like what, what should they be doing? Right. Like to your point of like, do they need to be rebuilding Istio every week or like, like what do they do? And, and so one answer, and this is the answer I think that every single, uh, enterprise buyer or user of software this is what they want the answer to be nothing different so we've got that that would be great uh but my sense you know from observing this at like you know here at pivotal and stuff over the years is like mm, how about if you took the opposite of nothing and put that in in front of the style right like it, it seems like I don't know. I mean, it seems like the way you you architect and write these applications is a lot different. And like no one talks about that. <laughs> like or or maybe I'm completely wrong and all you do is use the whatever that tool they have is and you just like, you know, sort of like uh collapses uh your VM like some some uh magic time box into a little atom and just like shoots it into the cloud and then you're good to go, right? And but <laughs> but it seems like it, I don't know. I feel like there's a whole lot of new like development styles that need to go on. And I don't, I don't know what those are. Like who, who's, who's like the, the Kelsey high tower tower of cloud native software development. That's sort of like writing all of that. Who's, who's basically like, well, the platform is actually where you write your applications. <laughs> right. Right. Like this, if, if, if Kubernetes is not for developers, what's for developers and like, what do they need to be doing? paying attention to and yeah and i think this is where google right i think this is why i think they would say this form of anthos right that like hey this is a level of abstraction right that's going to hide some of this complexity from you but you know everyone keeps doing this like everybody has like another level of abstraction and this is kind of back to like these leaky abstractions it's like well when you start to do stuff it's like you know you you know you're gonna have to set up anthos or like there isn't something you know what i mean you can't just like Somebody had to do this work. Well, who was that person? Now are we back to like an SRE? Are we just back to an ops guy that's doing that? But then didn't we just say we wanted DevOps to be closer together? So it's a lot of, you know, uh, confusion. I do think, you know, maybe the the history can show the future. There was a good article this week about OpenStack from, uh, you know, one of our – uh, our friends uh, was it would, that anyway I just forgot Ubuntu uh, just forgot but anyways interview about like the state of OpenStack right and you know and I think the point there that I the thing I took away from it I guess I guess it was Shuttlesworth right that's what I was looking for sorry um, and, and I think the thing I took away from it was you know like when you get to this level of like trying to build you know these cloud computing infrastructures so this is a broad phrase like I just think it's really, really complicated no matter how you do it. And like, and looking back at OpenStack or looking at it now, it's like, you know, the, I think the thing people say, complicated, sprawling, too big, right? But um, I think the point that maybe he was making there is like, this is just complicated. It is just really, really complicated. And there isn't any simple way around it. So, you know, as we look ahead in, the, in this Kubernetes edition of it, like, I'm not going to be shocked in a few years if it's just like, wow. We're, we're at a level of complexity that's similar to what we've been in the past. Uh, even though we did everything we could to avoid it, it, it just happened again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is, you know, OpenStack's always instructive. And, and it's just, uh, you know, I think, I, I think, I think there's still a task, uh, uh, an open task in the backlog, which is uh, finally convince developers to not care about containers. <laughs> right? Like, and, and I think... I think us in the pivotal world have been trying to do that for a long time. And so we're like, uh, 
we're like we're like those those returning people in a, in a cutoff vest like coming back from the front and just laughing at these other people who are going towards the into the the trenches of the jungle uh or you know maybe handing them some old things they're always mean to other new recruits i think right there should be something better than a military analogy i don't know math there's probably something about mathematicians or um something <laughs> Man, if if I edited this podcast, I would have edited that part out, but I don't edit. <laughs> Anyways, so I I think I think that's like the first step is you got to start working on that like having developers not care about this stuff, which is very difficult. Uh and then from what I can tell, the answer has to do something there's some kind of salad or gumbo that you make that includes a lot of events, whatever the fuck reactive is and microservices and then probably something about Kafka. Right. Like, I think that's kind of like whatever this cloud native development thing is it's somewhere in there. I think I think the animal that O'Reilly would choose would be uh, remember in the fly when he would transport people around or things around and they would be like this gigantic monster of things. Kind of like um, in uh, what's that? That is his name, China Mayville or Melville. It's Is it the city beyond? No, that's a different book. Anyways, there's some book that this this. Uh, kind of like steampunk Lovecraft guy written and wrote and the big monster in it is just like this hideous multi-headed weird thing and uh, I think that's the woodcut you would go for just like this big salad of stuff at the moment and slowly it would winnow down to maybe like a, a, a friendly turtle or something but someone should work on that I think <laughs> something about right, cloud native development too hard but you know one other thing uh that I think we should just like hit on because I feel like everybody's probably used it. This is like the opposite of complexity to me is PagerDuty. PagerDuty went, uh, mm. had their IPO this year or just this week rather. And they've, uh, looks like they've went out for $1.8 billion. And I just, this is like to me, like the sign that like, no, still solving point problems can just be incredibly valuable. Like I've used PagerDuty at a couple of different jobs. It's, just, you know, and I guess I mean this in like the nicest way possible. Like it just does the job. You know what I mean? You're never, yeah. Like you're in there and it's like, I don't think the interface is all that great, but it has all these options. Like you can do all these crazy on-call options and it just works. It seems to deal good with, do, deal well with time zones. They can figure out the on-call schedule. And, uh, and it's sort of amazing that like with all these cloud behemoths that, uh, you know, the place that people get most of their notifications of something bad is happening is, is like a relatively small company that's mm. worth a lot of money. So you know, I don't know. This is like the case study. Like, I don't know if this is the exception that proves the rule or if it's just like this crazy outlier. For some reason, this problem, you know, didn't like draw the interest of uh, big players or they weren't able to break through. So I, I don't know. So just really, it's more like congratulations to Peter Judy. I'm not sure how you did it, but well done. Well yeah, done yeah. So something that is uh, seemingly simple and just works well. That's a great product right there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's and, and, you know, on, on the slightly related end of the spectrum is something like Skype, which actually works very well. I mean, for what it is. But boy, is it a hideous piece of shit, right? Like, <laughs> But, you know, you put up with it because it works and, and it, it does, does the thing. And, and the other option is like, you know, Zoom us or, or other things like that, which, which are fine, but Skype is still, for what we do, much better. Just, a, boy, what a, what, a, what a weird... Being being like in, the, they probably have. I'm gonna guess like at least five, if not ten teams, and they must have maybe quarterly a meeting of all the product managers and just like what is going on there, like they're just something strange. We need to get them like out of the house and just like to they they should they should go just like, something 
something. But their product works well. So here mm-hmm. we are. Well, I, there was a, an interesting news. I don't know. I guess uh, I don't know. I don't know where the data comes from, but I read this thing that said Microsoft Teams. So that's sort of the Slack competitor, the, mm. the Skype replacement. I don't know. Sort of de- de- depends on your position. It said that it passage uh, Slack's Slack's usage, um, and, and it was I guess it was going to double by 2020. And I think part of me is like, huh, that's surprising. But at the same time, it's like, no, this is kind of back to kind of our conversation before. It's like. A lot of people have made a commitment to Microsoft. They've been using Microsoft for, I don't know, over two decades, maybe three decades. And you can see why, like, well, let's just use Teams. Make it work, right? And you yeah. can kind of see how that that works. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, Slack, uh, I think their IPO is, like, going to be next in the next couple of weeks. So it'll be interesting to see if they, one, go IPO and if they maintain themselves as a standalone company. Um, so, you know, time will tell. Boy, can you imagine the great stories about Slack? It started as a game company. <laughs> yes. Yes. I think that uh, narrative is going to be written about 4,000 times in the next few weeks. I, I, I look forward to the savvy people who'd be like, well, look how Flickr turned out. Uh, but no one will care about that. that. That'll be far afield. True. Very true. Well, uh, before we get to the recommendations, as always, there's a few administrative things to go over. Uh, one of them being it's August. Not right now, but in in your 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 theater of the mind. Let's say it's August, and and you're uh, you're thinking I want to go to a conference. What you want to do is you want to go to DevOps Days Minneapolis, and uh, if you want to go there August sixth and seventh, we've got a code to get fifty dollars off. You use SDT twenty nineteen. You can see that in the show notes over at uh, softwaredefinedtalk.com. And then we also uh, speaking of pivotal, we got a bunch of. Uh, oh, let me correct this because it's actually Spring One Tours. Let me put the Spring one tours not spring tours we should have just named it spring tours but that's fine uh it's not like i'm in marketing or anything uh so we've got a bunch of uh worldwide a bunch of as we say spring one tours where it's uh it's two days and actually you know now that i'm reflecting on it you basically learn what cloud native development is uh and then we go over that salad of things uh pretty well but for example next week i'll be um uh, giving a presentation and also uh, emceeing the one in Istanbul. I've never been there. Seems like a great place. They opened a brand new airport. I'll check it out. And then we got all sorts of ones in the U.S. and there'll be many of them over in in uh, Oceania and Matt Ray's part of the world. I think there's still some in uh, in uh, Europe to do. We'll see. But anyways, you should go to uh, I think it's springonetour.io. You can check out the list. It costs a negligible amount to go, uh, but it's it's a fun event. And then Matt will be at uh, ChefConf in uh, May 20th and 23rd. I don't remember what city that's in, but it's probably great. Uh, so you can check that out if you want to go there. Matt will be speaking. And then there's a chef, a little ChefConf in London on June 19th and 20th if you want to check that out. Do you have any exciting conferences you'll be going to, Brandon? I don't have any exciting conferences, but, Kote, if you were in the uh, Software Defined Talk Slack, uh, which you can join by going to softwaredefinedtalk.com and finding the Slack button there and uh, filling out a form and no SSH JJ, you know, he helped to set up some automated things. But if you were there, there's a channel for jobs. There are two jobs that people, listeners posted this week. So I thought I'd read them out. One is uh, AutoSoft is hiring uh, software engineers. Sounds like a, a good job here. It's very remote friendly. There's basically no travel. You just have to go, I think, on site one week a year. So uh, thank Joe Bowers for uh, posting that one. And then our old friend, Professor Jeremy of Illinois Tech in Chicago. Guess what, Cote? They are hiring two adjunct faculty mm. members. They're going to teach, uh, I guess it's a 16-week class, and it's one night a week. So you can either teach Node.js 
or you can teach uh, web REST API development. So thing on this one is you need a master's degree, but he specifies your master's can be in any subject. Oh. Uh, so I guess if you just, I don't know, you got like an English. So not to say, I think Matt Ray has an IT degree. He does. His undergrad, is, uh, his undergrad is geology. I was like, that would be funny if it was flipped. His master's was in geology. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know, maybe Matt Ray, maybe he needs he's, another he's job. He's set. He's, uh, got, he's got like an MIS master's degree or something, something like yeah. that. Yeah. So he could probably he could probably get, teach anything. He probably can move between the different schools, the humanities, the sciences, the engineering. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, if that's what you want to do, and if, like maybe you understand cloud native development, and you can go teach a whole new generation of people how to do it. You should. Uh, so if you want to find out more about these jobs, you know what you can do: join the Slack channel, uh, join this specific channel, and you can actually talk to both those guys because they're mm. in Slack. That would and be. And they'll exciting. tell you if they'll tell you if the jobs are good or not. You know, I never really hype this, but if you want to be a sales engineer for Pivotal, you can probably get hired. <laughs> like, you know, not that we would take anyone, but we always need sales engineers. That's a, a very it's in a, in a nice way. The, the, I think it's nice that that people who can who can go over all the technical underpinnings of the stuff we sell are always in high demand. Means that's the conversations people want to have. So it's not a lot of. Uh, hype and hustle they actually want to yeah know we should give like we should on. give like a secret interview uh pivotal interview tip emphasize the culture guys make That's sure to right. talk about the culture don't 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 get in there and just talk about containers be like well you know what's really important the culture yeah the culture yeah. that's that will get you over th- that'll get you through at least the phone screen you got you got the two c's culture and containers container containers. culture that was a that's boy right. george's band right if i remember <laughs> that's like alex i I will take things that start with c um i would boy i would totally win that uh apparently uh well so uh also you know we got all sorts of brandon mentioned the slack we got all sorts of other things if you want to get the show notes for this episode you go to software defined talk slash 175 but with that this week brandon what do you recommend well i'm going to recommend another podcast here uh it's work life with adam grant so he is essentially a like a behavior psychologist, somebody that studies a lot of how people behave. And there's this one episode just caught my. It's uh, it's it's like the office. This episode that's in the uh, that I recommend is the office without assholes, right? And so, what I like about what he tries to do is he seems to go out and look for people that have either done research on specific things or um or are researching them. So and tries to bring some level of i don't know i guess like real research to these discussions so like i think everybody would say like yeah i want to work uh, in a place without assholes but he actually brings to light some of the things like what is the cost what does it actually mean and so it's sort of like an obvious thing but i feel like so much business books and so much is just sort of like just based on nothing nothing more than opinion and and of course you know one of the podcasts i think kote you and i both enjoy is is the weeds by uh, vox media but at the end they always have this thing called like the white paper of the week where somebody has actually gone out and researched some subject and in their case usually it's like policy of some type of public policy and it like figured out if it worked or not and i just thought like man it feels like this entire field of business uh, research should be done. Like, so this is what I would like someone to go research. I don't know who will do it, but right now it's all the rage to talk about writing six page memos instead of PowerPoints. And it's like, I don't know. It's like that Amazon's made that really popular. It seems like Amazon's really successful, but like, it would be great if somebody actually went out and like did some research, like does writing six page memos actually make your company better? Do you do better than like, 
doing whatever the normal process is? Like, is there some kind of control study? Is there, you know, is it happening somewhere that someone could research it? And then when they finish that one, I then want like someone to go figure out like this whole MBO thing. Like I've been in all these companies, everyone does this MBO stuff differently and the reviews are differently. And it's like, man, it feels like somebody should like really research this and like write it up and like actually like come to some definitive conclusions. So mm. Adam Grant doesn't do all of that, but I feel like his podcast of the things I have touched on recently um, feels like he's attempting to do more of that. So that's why I sometimes enjoy listening to different episodes. So check it out if you are uh, and check that out. And if someone has done all the research on all this and like, should I be reading, writing six page memos and someone's figured that out? If someone has that information, send it to me. I would really appreciate it. Yeah, that sounds good. I I like I like at least uh, you know, backed up things. I was uh I like citations. <laughs> I'm I'm into that. That's but just no. me. You know, speaking of things that have a lot of citations and uh uh you know, are based on stuff. I, my 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 little booklet Monolithic Transformation is now in Safari. If you have that, you can go look at it. As it stands, there's one review which, you know, I'm grateful for this review. It proclaims that it's the most awesome book ever published. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is the person who wrote that review, there's a lot of Michael Cotes around, so it's one of those other Michael Cotes who uh, wrote that. But it's a great review. Uh, but you should totally still go lead gen yourself instead of reading. Even if you get the book for free, you can go get a PDF of it. And, uh, you know, if you go to cote.io slash better software, you can find a link to it. And then also as self-hustling, Last week, uh, I finally decided I would just put together and uh, put up on LeanPub the collection of all my uh, my DevOps and other columns. Uh, under the, uh, I was trying to get O'Reilly to publish it, and they were really interested. And then they went dark, and then they're like, "Oh, we don't want to publish it." But that's the way it works out. No funny animal for that. So instead of being called Surviving DevOps, I renamed it back to Digital What the Fuck or WTF. So uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. But if you just go to like leanpub.com slash digital WTF, you can get a copy of it. And I'm sure it's riddled with nonsense and typos. As mentioned earlier, I, I actually know all of that. I just choose not to follow it. That's totally the reason. It's I'm just sort of punk grammar guy. Uh, but you you can check that out. And I think I put a code somewhere in a Slack channel so that you can get it for free. I think there's probably five of those left if you want to go dig it up. Uh, so you should check out those two books, lots of books, just go get them and send me the corrections. Uh, and then also for a non, uh, for two things that aren't, uh, self-promotional at this afternoon, I just had something, uh, over in the bakery called a, uh, let's see, I won't be able to pronounce it correctly, but it's a booter bont, which is basically a butter slice, uh, B-O-T-E-R-P-U-N-T in Netherlands. Is it just Nether? I, they say Dutch differently than that. Uh, but it's basically just like if you if you imagine you went and got one of those Pillsbury pre-made pastry crusts, and uh, let's say you took the whole crust and you folded it up into a very dense slice of pie. That's basically what it is, and it's delicious. So it's not very like sweet or desserty, but if you're into that kind of thing, it's good, uh, and you should check that out if you can get a hold of it. I'll put a link to a, a recipe for it, and you'll see it's basically butter with some sugar and. Uh, flour i think and uh that's 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 my recommendation go go check out my books and uh eat a bunch of butter solid do it at the same time well with that as always uh this has been software defined talk if you want to get the show notes for this episode you can go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 175 
And as we mentioned, you can get a link of how to get stickers for free and uh, see our other podcasts where we interview people like Adam Jacobs and uh, other folks uh, and, you know, join Slack. We got all the stuff. But with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.